Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 36. Lolis isn't here this week, so we don't have a bingo call. But pick up sticks, eat, that sounds eat your like it could be. Eat, it's 36. That's branded wheels, that's branded brand oh, bingo. Oh no. Uh, wheat, wheat slices. That doesn't rhyme wheat. with six. What? Wheat slices. <laughs> I oh. mean... That sounds so terrible. Isn't that just bread? It's such a generic <laughs> cereal. You know, absolutely no connection to Nobody's any brand. Nobody's buying wheat slices in a box. You say are, that we now. Are joined, we are joined by someone very special, though. Yes, we should, we should do introductions <laughs> before we immediately fly off the rails. And um, talk about wheat slices. Yeah, we are. We're very uh, honoured this week to be joined by Emma Parlo, our very first guest on the Dicebreaker podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is doing okay on this cloudy and cold Tuesday. It is, oh. yeah. Uh, pretty clear. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, right. Very, very cloudy. <laughs> oh, well, the weather's fine here. Yeah. <laughs> Down by the sea. Yes. <laughs> Mate, it's not. It's a rarity sometimes. Mm. Yeah, we do get all of the rain. So we'll yeah. worry about the rain I, I, of yes. seagull poop. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and that. Uh, of course, uh, I'm Matt Jarvis. Returning, uh, Alex Meehan. You're also here. Hello, Meehan. How yeah. are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone else is not important anymore. We've got a guest. The way that Matt says that <laughs> truly reflects the tiredness in his soul, having to deal with me every day. So, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, Instead I'm of right. good morning, it's just ah, oh, you again. <laughs> it's like, oh no, what do I have to try and do to control you now? <laughs> so, and, and the other, the other problem child <laughs> hello <laughs> hello Wills. how are you i'm good thank you for asking good. um i am a lot a lot more tired than i thought i'd be today considering i had about 12 hours sleep <laughs> but there oh, we wow. go maybe maybe i overslept who knows mm, that can happen mm. Mm. Uh, we are of course here to talk about the week's board game and tabletop news uh, and also answer some of your emails. Uh, but before we do that, as always, we're diving in with what we've been playing this week. Uh, let's start with our guest, Emma. What have you been playing lately? Um, so unsurprisingly, I've been playing some Magic the Gathering. Um, I've been playing a lot of Commander this weekend, just gone. Um, also, I've been playing a lot of Tekinoko, um, because pandas are great, and I just like love the game. <laughs> so are they are really great. <laughs> they need help, though. They need as much help as they yes. can get. Um, I want to play the expansion at some point, because apparently you can have like a female panda now. And there's like, no, yeah. this looks really cool. Um, and besides that, I've been reading the new Death Guard Codex, because that just came out. So I'm trying to clean myself up on all the rules for when I can actually play an actual game again. I cannot believe how long it's been since i've played an actual miniature i know it's, it's so sad like you can we can play magic but you have to play on like webcam and then you just set up your yeah. table and it's, it it's, it fills the gap but it's just not quite the same at the same time so is that how i guess is that because you've got a collection like a physical collection rather than hopping on arena yeah so um especially when it comes to stuff like commander so that's like a singleton format that's really really popular at the moment um, a lot of people just have collections and they can't afford to play it on like Magic Online, for example. So they just get a webcam, do it top down and then just play against other people across the world. It's really, really cool how they've adapted. But at the same time, it's it's not quite the same than playing against someone who's right opposite you. So, 
I imagine there must be some kind of cheat where if you have like a really bad webcam on purpose, you'd be like, oh yeah, I just put this. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, you could, you could shuffle your deck incorrectly, I guess, as well. <laughs> yeah, or you just, you just get MS Paint up. Yeah, and just draw <laughs> images of the cards that you want them to see. There's the Alex Me and That sounds great. It's always MS Paint. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a cultural institution. Come on. <laughs> you know, also, I don't know how to really play Magic, aside from the, the very basics. I tried Arena, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Isn't uh, um, isn't, is Legends a new a new format? Uh, so Magic Legends is, the, is their take on a MOBA, so it's very similar to, like, an MMO-style World of Warcraft kind of thing that isn't... It's not out yet, so it's in its alpha, so it's still being really tested. But um, they really, really want to push the online MMO aspect because they're seeing how well WoW does. So they're like, you know what, we're going to do the same thing and do one for Magic the Gathering. So um, mm. I've not heard great things about it, to be honest, because it just sounds really rough around the edges. But we'll have to see what happens. I mean, I know I know, WoW is still still relatively popular. We just had a new update kind of as well. Like... Eh? Just had a new update as well. Yeah, Shadowlands not too long ago. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm aware of this, but I just feel like whenever any company tries to push an MMO that's a similar sort of style, I mean, like Magic's been around for ages, obviously, and it has its own kind of distinct style-ish. But the, a lot of the stuff is still based around like fantasy, you know, and World of Warcraft. I just feel like really operates in that area so i've seen mmos kind of come in and be like oh look what what warcraft's making money we we can make money as well and then they're like oh oh everyone's they're making money because everyone's playing world of warcraft they're like why can i why should i play this one i could just play the best version which is world of warcraft so (laughs) so (laughs) you know Best of luck to them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, have to see what happens, but I'm not confident on it just for that reason because there's there's a lot of Magic players that still play WoW and they've been playing since, you know, the day one. So, have to see what happens. Yeah. It does go to show <laughs> how little some of us know about Magic <laughs> and the fact that we, we thought MMO was a format okay. <laughs> to be fair. I have seen booster with no. the word legend you've got you've got commander legends and then there was a magic set called legends which was about 20 years ago so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of similar sounding you know names and overlap um but yeah because because there's so many new formats to magic now that you know it's a safe assumption to go oh it must be a new format whereas actually it's a it's a digital game <laughs> Yeah, no, I wasn't making fun of you, Mr. No, no. I know nothing about magic either. Oh, I know what's going on here. <laughs> I haven't even heard of Legends. I'll be honest. Like... I'll be honest. I think I was thinking of Commander Legends because I had no idea there was an MMO coming out. <laughs> I Neither think did I, mate. They've only got Neither like six adjectives and they just rearrange yeah. each other. Battle, Legends, War, yeah. something else. Yeah. 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 I do. Like, um, I will say I love the idea of an MMO where you're sent to collect twenty flowers, and to pick a flower, you have to play a full game of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> and seventeen hours oh. later, you've picked those twenty flowers. Oh. We were talking on Slack because um, Johnny told us about Combat Chess, which was a, a mini game in one of the Mortal Kombat games, where you played chess with characters from Mortal Kombat, and then every time two pieces met, 
you would have a Mortal Kombat fight. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder if there is a market for... You play an MMO, but every small action requires you to play a card I, game. That would take... Am I right in thinking there's a card that is banned where you play it and then you play a mini game yeah. of magic. Uh, okay, yeah, it's yeah. called it's called Shaharazad. It's a super old card, but yeah, it basically when you play it, you play another game within a game. Um but yeah, it got banned a long time ago because there's a lot of the, yeah. it was that and there's a lot of gambling connotations as well and wizards uh, were very very strict on that as well. But yeah, there was a there was a, a mini game card for that like that's very similar. Um but yeah. <laughs> mm. Right, I guess when it's like magic is almost like The Simpsons, and it's been going for so long that they're gonna just retread ideas yeah. after a while. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, excellent. Uh, Emma, have you been playing anything else, or is that? That's pretty much it at the moment, unfortunately. Um, just reading up on Warhammer 40k stuff because there's just a load of stuff coming out, and I play the, I play um, Death Guard, so there's a lot of like new rules updates and so forth. So I'm just trying to keep on top of that. All right. Excellent. Uh, let's move over to Michael Wheel and Wills. Uh, what have you been playing lately? I, for once, have actually played some board games. <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast? Every, every time I come on this podcast, I'm like, oh, I haven't played really anything. Um, but I've been, I played a two-player classic, Odin's Ravens, um, which is very well highly regarded. I can see why, because it's very, very good fun. It's super simple. It's basically, for those who haven't heard of it, you are playing as Odin's two ravens and they're having a race around the world. So one's going in one direction, one's going in the other direction, and then whoever meets back at the start point first wins. Is that um, mayhaps H- Hugen and Mugen? Uh, Huggen and Muggen. Yeah, Huggen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, So Huggen and Muggen are going around the world. So you basically lay out, I think it's like 16 cards, which are sort of... Um, double-sided and they have essentially like biomes on them you know so you've got like a forest and a a desert and a river or whatever um and you draw cards to like lay yourselves onto those spaces so you play the the suit of the next space basically as a card from your hand and you get to move your character forward if you've got like a run of three forests you can play one forest go all over them um and then you've also got like these loki cards which are kind of like trickster cards which is where like most of the strategic uh, element of the game comes from because you can keep <laughs> cycling through your land cards as many times as you want and you can keep shuffling the deck and re- redrawing until the game ends but you have a finite amount of loki cards that's uh, identical to your opponent so you have things where like you can flip cards around and you can rotate things on the board um you have ones where you can like take a new land card and make a loop which I'm trying to like use my hands, but you can't see me, and anyone listening to this can't see me. But imagine like a straight line has then just had a big old bend shoved into it, and then right back onto the straight line. So they basically have to, you know, go a further path. But the really interesting thing about it is like it encourages you to screw around with your opponent, but because of the way the board works, it's kind of like backgammon. You have to start from opposite ends, but then end up on each other's starting spaces. So any way in which you've screwed over the opponent at the start of the game, you then have to go through yourself, oh, which is really, really cool. So you kind of have to like weigh up, you know, when should I use these? Um, should I use them to benefit myself or should I try and screw the other person over? But then I need to be careful in case I screw myself over in the long run, which is really good fun. Mm, um, um, it's very pressing as well. Wheels, do any of the Loki cards cause... Uh... Tom Hiddleston's version of Loki to sort of just appear. <laughs> Shirtless. I mean, you you don't own the game, so I can only assume that no, that is not. <laughs> That's the expansion. You pay extra happens. for that. I would pay Maybe any amount of edition. money. For yeah. 
That was an exclusive Kickstarter backer, I think. <laughs> you got that special version. It's just Tom just packaged in the box. Um, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> if you say so, Wills. <laughs> Uh, I also play Black Orchestra, which is um, a co-op game in which you try and kill Hitler, which is basically... <laughs> but it's, it's kind of... Right. <laughs> Ian's a big fan. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> I love killing Hitler, mate. Um, <laughs> but it's basically like a... Um, you kind of have like this map of Germany and then the bits of, of the uh, countries aside that were sort of invaded during World War II. Um, but you're playing as like members of the cabinet who actually like there was a group of people who tried to assassinate Hitler from within the country, mm. which I had no idea about, which was um, which was really interesting. And then like there's loads of characters you can pick from to play as, and they all have like a little blurb of like, hey, who, here's who this person is. I was playing as someone who like attached a bomb to the underside of a yes. meeting table mm-hmm. in the room that Hitler was in, and then still failed to kill him somehow <laughs> but yeah it's it's ridiculous like some of the the stories that come out of it and like just it's that part of history that you don't really think about because a lot of the time especially i think in um in a lot of like world war Two themed games a lot of the time they're focused on like moving tanks and troops around and it's all very like battle lines and stuff like that you don't see a lot of the sort of internal politics of the of the countries that were involved kind of thing and to see you know seeing the inner workings of what was essentially the antagonist nation of the of the time period it was really really interesting um but it's it's quite sort of it reminds me of like a sort of like espionage kind of theme where you're you're desperately walking around trying to do things but also you have like a suspicion because at any point you can draw a card that says gestapo raid <laughs> at which point it's like if you are a certain level of suspicion you literally go to prison and have to be broken out um, and you also you lose all like your contraband and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it's um, it was sort of like viewing a kind of I think a bit of a tired theme in board games, but from a new angle. Is this the uh, game that has the card when you win and it says congratulations, you killed Hitler, and that's it does. Yeah, okay. And then it's like post a <laughs> selfie on Twitter. That's the one. <laughs> yes, that's the one. I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> But we did kill Hitler. Me and my partner killed Hitler. So you're welcome, world. Great job. Um, and then I also I played a tiny bit of Magic Arena, actually. Um, which I think I think my partner was playing it for some reason. And I was like, oh, come and help. Because I think they were getting confused by something. I was like, I have a tangential knowledge of how magic works. So I'm going to come over and help. Um, and I had a pretty good time with it. It was a it was a pretty fleeting moment. But yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex Meehan. Let's move over to you. What have you been playing this week? Oh, Mr. Jarvis. What did we play together? Uh, we played Root. Yeah, we played uh, Root again. You can probably tell by the difference in our voices who won this game. <laughs> <of Root. laughs> I was about to say that the Google Doc, which, uh, which <laughs> it's laid out in front of us, says a lot of Root. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not just been playing with Matt. I've been playing with other people oh. as well. Uh, but yeah, no, Matt and I played a game together and I was... I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was wrong. <laughs> you, uh, you absolutely were. You, that, it was quite savage towards the yeah. end. Yeah, it was savage, Mr. Jobs. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm glad you admit that. Uh, it wasn't just me, I better. to point out. No, it wasn't just you. It was everyone else as well. Uh, I was playing the Airy, who I've played a few times before. It was random select, and the game was like, yeah, you need to do this again. 
was like, oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But I was actually doing really well this time um, because I figured out one of the big things with the Aerie, one of the factions in the game, is um, it really helps to expand like as early as possible. So like put your roost down um, as fast as you can in the, the first few rounds because it takes away a lot of the heavy lifting where later on, um, you know, people start s- smelling a rat, as it were, or a bird in this case, and start going after you. Uh, but you've already established yourself, established yourself somewhat. So it means that maybe some losses aren't so bad as if it would be if you only had a few roosts. Um, so I kind of went massive expansion, set down as many roosts as possible. And then obviously people started cottoning on to the fact that I was winning. <laughs> That's when I went downhill. Because uh, one of my friends uh, was like, oh, look over there to me. Uh, and I was I, I was ganged up on. Uh, you fell for the classic trap, Mia. You what? should never be the first person to start winning a strategy game. <laughs> well... Because they never win in the end. <laughs> the thing is, the Aerie get a certain amount of points at the end of their turn. It's not mm. like I could slow things down a bit and then creep back up. Like, once you start getting those points, that's what you get. So, of course, I, you know, was getting past 20 points and everyone was like, oh, quick, we need to all pile on. Uh, and then that meant Matt just walked over the finish line, whistling to himself, <laughs> holding his bindle. <laughs> yeah, you were about 15 points ahead, or 10 to 15 points ahead for a good long time. Um, yep. You were getting about four victory points at the end of every turn. Yeah. And we were all kind of just floundering around. And then, yeah, your, your friend pointed this out, and within yeah. the space of a single round, you went from having <laughs> half the map covered in roost to having no roost at all and getting zero victory points. Yes, they're very good it at was, that, it was, my yeah. friend. They, they like doing that. They're like, oh, look, uh, look, Alex is doing things over there. And then my other friend will be like, oh, yeah, you're right, actually. They are doing something. And then I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And it, you know what? It was the closest game of root I've ever had. Like we, any of us could have won in the space of a single turn, mm. like at that point. And it got to one point where the same friend who, uh, you know, implied the others should pile onto my poor birds also started saying things to Matt, suggesting ways that he could win. <laughs> the at, worm at, tongue at, in my ear. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was like, stop the chicanery. You are not helping Matt win. You, yeah, it was. It, I was. I was genuinely tensed up at, in the last turn because I knew I had to win that turn, mm, yeah. or somebody else would. Yeah, and I managed to score seven victory points in the space of a turn as the vagabond. Um, oh my lord! I think it was the thing. It's like I was the I was the vagabond, so I was just kind of you know. Dawdling, around. Dawdling, yeah, basically for most of it, just <laughs> happily trading with people, mm. and then and then me and got a little bit too far ahead. I was like, okay, t- it's time for go, uh, <laughs> and just immediately crossbowed one of her warriors. And yeah, yeah, I gave you that crossbow as well. Yeah, I know. I, I yeah, this. I traded for it, and then immediately, literally, just shot you, Stamped. shot you back with it. Top top ten anime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. And then I, I fought a, a fought a bear or wrestled a bear, whatever the four point. Four victory yeah. point card is oh the quest God. for the Vagabond. 
Yeah, um, and then you were sat there for a bit going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do to get I did apologise at the time as well, because I, um, I felt genuinely bad. It's fine, it's fine, I can survive. But, oh, well, I still did it, you know, I still won. <laughs> oh, yeah, you still did it. Uh, but no, my, Matt was sat there going, I don't know how I'm going to get the last of these points. Uh, and then my friend was like, oh, well, you know, there, there is something you can do. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. <laughs> and I was just sitting there slowly puffing up in rage. Um, but no, it was a really good match. Yeah, I played another game uh, sort of before that with the same group, but uh, not with Matt. And we figured out that the Woodland Alliance are one of the most OP groups uh, in the entire game. Uh, I th- if, I th- to be fair, I think the Woodlands Alliance are the most OP group because nobody expects them to win mm. every time. <laughs> yeah, they're and just that, building like, sympathy. Yeah, and if nobody bam. ever believes in you, then that you're you're golden. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as soon as someone's like, "Oh, they could win," then you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, it, I think we figured out. So Root's a really interesting game. The fact that the more you play it, the more you kind of work out how things mm. operate. And we kind of worked out that the Woodland Alliance is one of those things that you, if you have to start, you know, if you want to stand any chance against it, you just have to crush it, like from whatever opportunities you can. Uh, because there are some things that that faction can do, and it boggles the mind. <laughs> I played as the Woodland Alliance, and I, I wiped the board somehow. And that mm. was the first time I played as them. <laughs> it was, it was wild. Um, I felt kind of bad, to be honest. It's why I wanted an, a good, honest win. And I couldn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Stolen from me. Um, yeah, other than Root, uh, we played um, Parks with the Nightfall expansion. Um, so I spoke about Parks on the podcast before. A really lovely, sweet game that's just quite laid back like worker placement but there's a expansion for it called nightfall which adds some new park cards but also a new mechanic in the form of campsites which you can um like place along the trail that you you travel along and instead of doing the usual thing that you would on the trail you would you go to like a campsite location and it offers you just a new like action that you can take instead of the normal one and you can also buy more year cards as well which act as like game goals that allow you to get more points so you can kind of rack up year cards that stack on top of one another uh which is really interesting uh you know it doesn't change the game massively it's not like a a a really impressive expansion but it it's nice like it adds some new elements to it we we enjoyed playing with it so um there you go i i lost by two points not by week is it yeah running theme (laughs) losing by two points yeah yeah oh yeah yeah don't yeah rub it in matt don't worry (laughs) (laughs) this is a way of getting back at me for all the stuff i pulled um yeah that's what i've played mr jarvis all right, excellent. Uh, I have not played very much other than Root, uh, but I did look at Mouse Ritter, which is a game we chatted about on the podcast a couple of weeks back, and I ended up buying the start the starter box set, um, and it arrived, and it is such a lovely little game. It's it's uh, it's a role playing game about being mice. Um, and the the rule book itself on the front cover, it has a little cutout of a door, and it goes through to the the first page, and the first page has a little mouse on it, so you can just open it, Aww. and it pops out of the door. 
Um, but the whole set is just a really lovely looking um, kind of collection of bits. So there's an, an adventure in there. There's a GM screen. Uh, there's some tokens which you use for equipping items um, because the the mechanics you your equip load is essentially squares on your character sheet. So you fill them up with items and that that's it. And you, I think you roll one d6 to resolve things. Um, but it's just a lovely set. I I believe Isaac Williams. I might be getting that name wrong. Um, but the designer uh, who created it is also the artist for it. It's just kind of a you know a one person creation but it's just a lovely lovely little set so i'm very much looking forward to playing it um although unfortunately i think because of the the item system it might be quite hard to play over webcam uh, so it might be a little while before i play it but until then i can look at the book and go oh isn't yeah, it nice <laughs> yeah it's so i just was opening the flap again and again like mouse 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 <laughs> it's, yeah it's so sweet <laughs> sounds like <laughs> i imagine your partner just standing there just like it sounds like you and Emma have been kindred spirits just sort of like wistfully looking at nice books for games you can't play (laughs) there's there's definitely an element of that Um, but yeah it's it's a lovely little thing Um, I think you can get you can download a digital version of it and you can get the rule book by itself Um, but I sprung for the box set Um, thank you half a bottle of wine on a Friday night Um, for for aiding me in that decision going that's lovely it's been a hard year yeah okay Uh, there's that little voice going you should do it yeah exactly yeah Um, so yes that's that's all I haven't been playing in addition to actually playing Root Uh, alright let's roll on to some news headlines Uh, we have first up this one written up by our lovely news writer Chase um, the UK government, or SAGE, which stands for the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, um, put out some revised safety information around uh, the ongoing COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, obviously, hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy, um, looking after yourselves. Um, but in the, the latest advice, um, in the lead up to Christmas and the holidays, they advised people not to play board games. They identified it as a high-risk activity. Um uh, relating to fomine, uh, fomites, sorry, not fomines, uh, fomites, uh, which are essentially the the particles you don't want. Um, and they said that being close to people, as you often are with board games and passing around kind of shared components, uh, had a higher risk of transmission. Uh, so they suggested instead of playing board games, um, replacing them with something like a quiz, <laughs> which... Doesn't quite same. equate. <laughs> That's not <the> <laughs> yeah, cheers. Uh, Sounds like the general advice should just be maybe we didn't need Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because they obviously they they aren't aware that that you know the internet is a place where you can play <laughs> board games on. Yeah. Uh, because presumably it's run by people who are like, eh, just say do a quiz. Like that, that'll do. Just, I guess, not a pub quiz because that seems. Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I yeah. But there are plenty of ways to play board games and RPGs online. So, um, keep keep doing that. Hmm. <laughs> and like, like you say, whether it's using something like Tabletop Simulator or the digital version, or as Emma was doing, playing Magic with webcam. Like, there are so many ways around it. Like, unless you are playing, I don't know, a game that it literally involves passing things directly between you, or, you know, nobody's playing Happy Salmon anytime soon. 
Um, <laughs> Sad times. Which is yeah, a crime. It, it <laughs> is. But, you know, there are plenty of other games that work just fine over a webcam mm. um, in the meantime. So, yeah. yes, yeah. stay safe out there, folks. But maybe, you know, maybe don't get together in a room for multiple hours on end. Um, just, you can you can wait. Do yeah, um, you, can, you can play board. No one's saying hard by board game. Just it's got to be sensible. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't be an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's what they should have just put think, in 72 in, point font. In general, like, if, you, if you're if sat down for Christmas and you think, hmm, I want to play a board game, put on one hand the death of innocent people <laughs> <laughs> and Whoa. the other hand a mediocre game of Trivial Pursuit oh. and just, <laughs> like, weigh out which one you think you would rather <laughs> avoid, you know? <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Alex Meehan, you wrote this story after speaking with Dungeons and Dragons. What's the latest? I spoke with Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, you spoke with the. You spoke with both Dungeons and Dragons, yes. Yeah, I, I spoke with the entity known as Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and it came back to me. And yeah, it was kind of what I expected. Uh, yeah, so. To cut a long story short, uh, Chase, our lovely news writer, wrote a news piece about the reactions that people have been having to the recent source book, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, um, which came out last month. Um, and within the source book, there's a very specific um, sort of section where you can. Um, create characters that ignore racial traits um so uh essentially you can make a background for your character you can choose a species for your character to be but they don't take on like the plus or minus traits or the the abilities that usually would come with those species selections and this uh so in the article i wrote uh, where I talked to Jeremy Crawford, who is a designer, a lead designer for D&D, and specifically on Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Um, he said that this decision to put these, you know, this choice in, is specifically a response to uh, people's frightful criticisms of D&D's depiction of um, certain species uh, as equated to certain races and you know it's not good essentially uh and so people's general reaction to this is um is this your solution uh to this problem um yeah you know it doesn't really the problem is that it doesn't really address directly a lot of the issues in terms of the way that these um, cultures are depicted in relation to, you know, long-term uh, issues with those races, like orcs and like drow and, and such. Um, it just says, you can ignore that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks, d and <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's actually interesting. In the interview I did with Crawford, he actually talked about how, like, with moral alignments, for example, being attached to certain 
and species. Um, uh, that is now being changed to to basically that doesn't happen anymore. That doesn't exist. So, for example, in Rime of the Frost Maiden, the new adventure, um, the, the Goliath um, race that's introduced doesn't have a moral alignment. They're kind of scrubbing that. Before they they would put in in the various books, oh, you could ignore moral alignment if you want, but still put it in there. Now they're they're just scrapping that entirely. I'm just like, why don't you do that with with this? Like it, he's talked about how it the problem being sometimes they try to straddle the line between keeping these traditional elements and trying to you know um, provide a better depiction um, of you know, the different species and races and such. Um, and how that just wasn't possible. And now they're just, tr they're just trying to do essentially like a solid, okay, this is how we're doing it, but they won't do that with, with this. Like they're still trying to straddle that line. Yeah. It feels like a lot of the disappointment was that it is on, on paper. It's, it's a movement in the right direction, but yeah. it's such a small incremental, I think, mm. um, so for full disclosure, I haven't seen the book myself, um, but I believe it's two pages tops, yeah. something like that. It's not, you know, I think it, people were expecting a much more kind of um, prominent uh, way of addressing it, like you say. And um, some folks who have been displeased have kind of compared it to, I think, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the specific rule, but like you say, essentially just ignoring it rather than actually directly oh, combating the, the it. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's you know, like I say, it's it's a move in the right direction, but it's such a small kind of baby step that yes. I can see why people are, are disappointed because yeah, it just feels just, like they're towing the water. Yeah, it just feels frustrating. Like you know, they can do more, but they choose not to. Um, this happens a lot in Magic: The Gathering as well. It took a long while for wizards to drag, like they were properly dragging their heels to deal with like racial nuances in the game. And finally, they're there, but it took so long to get there. I expect D&D &D to be similar, unfortunately. It's not like they're incapable of doing it. It's just, I don't know, you know, just stuck in their ways, perhaps. And it just takes a long time just to process all this and redesign everything. Because when it, at least when it comes to magic, there's magic in terms of design works two, three years ahead of, of the current timeline. So right now they're working on stuff two, two three years ahead, and that could be the same for D&D, &D, so... A lot mm, of the stuff yeah. that comes out is old to them, but doesn't address the current issues, if that makes sense. There's a weird like, mm. time disparity. Mm. I mean, the issues in D&D have been long, sort of, yeah. there. Um, they've had plenty of opportunities to address it. Um, I think the main issue is that they're so worried about upsetting people who are so used to doing things in a certain way uh, while still looking like they're trying to do something that it's kind of like, well, they've come out with this sort of compromise. But, you know, the problem is that D&D is the most popular, you know, RPG out there. Like, it should hmm. be... It shouldn't be towing the line. It should be, you know, innovating itself. Like, it should be a forerunner in improving the way that you know racial issues are, are addressed and, and you know improved um obviously um speaking as someone who is white like i would recommend people go and read um you know some of the blogs where people have talked about this and their disappointment 
Um, so Graham Barber um, is one of the the writers referenced by Chase's uh, article, um, uh, along with like there's obviously lots of people talking about it on Twitter um, and such. Um, but yeah, just talking to to the the lead designer, you know Crawford, like you know he said it could take years for these improvements to kind of go through and you're like uh, obviously i couldn't get a huge amount of details about you know their plans because it's wizard of the coast you know they don't want to just disclose anything um obviously they're aware of the problem but you know when for example when i asked you know how available is is are these options going to be you know you can get them obviously in tasha's corner and everything they're on D&D beyond and if you're part of the adventurers league uh you can get them there but like they're not making them as far as i know they're not making them available beyond those options Obviously, they'll, someone will probably pirate them somewhere or whatever, but like you'd think that if they were really committed to this, they would make them more widely available. And there's no word of whether they're going to replace the current system that you see in like the big books, like Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide. And the problem is that most people buy those books. Like Those are the books that people buy and look at. Not Tasha's Cauldron or everything. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, like Emma said, the the pipeline on on products like this, yeah. um, especially in the case of Wizards, like the they are so far in advance because there are so many aspects of like, uh, you know, like printing and localization and and all those kind of things. Whereas Wizards, I think, like to see themselves. Uh, almost like a video game company where they are running like a sort of games as a service kind of model where it's like oh we're gonna have new content coming out all the time all the time but like when you ask them to do something um this fundamental as a change uh that's when they trip over themselves because it's like well okay that means we need to put out an entirely new edition of the game yeah um which which isn't happening by the way that's that's been confirmed like (laughs) yeah yeah when i asked is there going to be a new edition i was told oh no plans for that yeah but then you you look at some of the so so you can you can afford them i guess some kind of um you know timing issues on that but then you look at the way that they deliver most of their content with D, where a lot of it is just available digitally where you know it is a case of swapping over some pdfs uh in a in a very layman's way of putting it um and it does seem to sort of like crumble away a bit and it's yeah. You know, it's all well and good to say, oh, well, you know, we, we work on things so far in advance that it, it's difficult for us to make these changes. It's like, okay, cool, but you should have been making these changes in the first place. <laughs> it shouldn't have taken a massive public campaign for you to be thinking about these Plus, things. Plus, WotC um, are in a position where they can just errata stuff on the fly. Granted, it yeah. doesn't look very good when you pick up a manual and go, oh, these are the rules, and then you look online and then the rules have changed. They are able to change the rules if they wanted to. It's just they clearly don't want to i mean that they're obviously still invested in like the physical uh, editions of of source books and and rule books and such because you know for example there's a collector's edition of tasha's cauldron and everything and everything so like there's 
that's a thing that you can get physically you know that will cost you more that that they're releasing like there's obviously still an investment involved in the physical market but it, it still feels like they could be doing more and they're just deciding well as long as we do enough to make us look like we're doing something mm. in mm. response yeah it's that's enough like the, I, the the statement where they addressed it over the summer i thought was actually you know yeah. it was pretty yeah. direct and some of the steps they took with magic to ban some of the cards again long overdue yes. given those cards came out in the in 93 i think they were like right yeah. from the first and they were pretty explicitly you know racist like they were they were pretty upfront with calling them racist um i think yeah part of the the other issue and this is all you know it's all alleged but you there have been alleged um stories of writers of color and so on um you know just not not having a good time working on D, and so it feels like in some ways those structures aren't there to support that as well um so you you hope it will move in the right direction and you know you can never never know all this stuff it's just it's frustrating for it to be such a a points two steps forward one step back or such a small movement in a direction and like i say it just feels like this is the this is the biggest rpg in the world loads of people play it it is you know it's not our favorite rpg i don't think like but it but it is such a huge thing it's a kind of culture institution you would hope that it would be leading the way with this stuff like you say and it just feels like so often they are indebted at points to to a legacy of a game that if those people are like happy with straight up racist racist stereotypes that's probably not who you want playing your game like just ditch them off they probably aren't going to care if you put out a new book anyway because they'll be playing you know second edition or something like (laughs) at some point i do think half of it is and i'm gonna be a little bit blunt again this is coming from a magic background is that what's you don't really care as long as they make money because they're owned by a company that wants to make loads of money and that's hasbro um mm. i think a lot of it skews on that axis unfortunately um again uh, the way i see it is i want to be proven wrong please prove me wrong i'm more than happy to but you know i'll see it until i believe it well yeah i think the case in point the fact that you know the center of this controversy is the fact that oh hey we've made some very very small changes and you can buy them in this 30 dollar yeah, yeah, book like yeah. it's it's not it. you know if if you had a big horrible um race issue in a video game and they said oh we fix it in a dlc yeah like you like you can't do yeah, that like, yeah. it's just not not all right that was and at the... that point mm. yeah at that point it just becomes a bit like really? you know a bit easy to see the, <laughs> yeah, the true yeah. motivations like as besides the the changes you know, I don't even think calling changes is right. The options that have been provided, mm. like regardless of their merit, like for me, when I was talking with Crawford, I think the thing that concerned me the most was like, how available are these options? Like, oh, okay, you can join the Adventurers League and then you can get them. Or you have to pay for this separate source book. And that's the thing that really concerned me. It's like these source books that most people already have or are going to be buying are probably going to be the player's handbook or the Dungeon Master's Guide, like these extra source books. I don't know the numbers, I don't know how they well they do, but like they're not, I severely doubt they're, they're some of the more best-selling ones, especially something like Tasha's Cauldron, which is not even like, a, essentially to describe it, it's a collection of things that you can add to your game, like new um, subclasses 
or spells or things like that. They're not like Eberron, for example, Rising from the Last War, which is a new setting. It's, I would say that, that, you know, source books with settings are probably even more popular than something like Tasha's Cauldron or everything. So it kind of feels like, okay, you've made this option, but you've put it in a source book that isn't really hugely fundamental to the game and you have to pay extra for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they if they wanted to even do things a bit better, they would just make them available on their website. Yeah. And yeah. like make that really obvious. Say, hey, you can find these on our website. I mean, how much is that going to put them out of? Like, mm. well, they like, did. Uh, they did that before when, um, like, at one point, D and D started to cross over into magic and use magic planes and magic setting to, so you mm. can play D&D in them. And for a while, they just made them free PDFs on their website. They didn't charge for them at all. It was just like yeah. 20 pages of reference material and classes that you could use. But now they put it in a book and charge you $30 for it. It's just, mm. it's just a shame. Mm. Yeah. Wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's far from perfect, but I do think Pathfinder is like a good example of, of taking those steps and actually kind of sticking with them. Mm. Like... It's yeah. It's yeah, it's I mean, kind of interesting to see the two diverge even further. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Pathfinder. I haven't played two E. I've only played first edition. Uh, but the fact that a major source book they announced this year take huge influences from African cultures, like, and it looks really impressive and amazing. Okay, bravo. Yeah, like... in a, yeah, in a way that appears to be you know in line with consultants and yeah. Like rather than just appropriating that yeah. content, yeah. Um, but yes, hope hopefully D and D gets gets its stuff together. Because I mean, if, if it doesn't, there are so many other. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. something else. Say we say this every yeah. week, but yeah, like just yeah. find something else. Also, to play. if it's if it's really irking you, like at some point you need to stop being a dead horse <laughs> and <laughs> find something a little bit more appropriate. I'd say one of the really good things coming out of the story is the fact that a lot of people talking about you know being disappointed with these options they pointed towards you know homebrew stuff that people have made yeah. for D&D <laughs> that solved this problem <laughs> yeah. so go and find that stuff because mm. there's some really wonderful content creators doing yeah if you thing. are if you are married to D&D for the love of god don't buy Tasha's yeah. and everything <laughs> like look up the hundreds and hundreds of um of like custom modded pieces of content yeah. from from people of color creators who have who have actually made inroads to to making this a little bit more yeah. manageable like because it's free and it's more authentic and you're not you know paying for the for the privilege of a game that should be fixed on its own merits so mm. there you go speaking of good rpgs yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, to segue out of the Serious conversation. Uh, Quest, uh, which is an RPG, if you've listened to any of this podcast or literally seen anything we've written or spoken about on camera in the last year, um, we all love Quest. Uh, and the creators of Quest are now making a spin-off card game called Queens, um, which I'm just going to know. I hope that they stick with this thing and every game they release from now on begins with a Q. Because <laughs> how, many, how many more can they do before they get into some real... Who's the... Who's the designer who does everything? Starts with is it F? Something like that. Oh, it's um. Oh, I'm. I wish Lolis was here. Fredman Freeze. Um, Fredman Freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Designer of Power Grid, which has a name in German that begins with F, and Friday, and 
and he's always green. It's always green, and it always starts with F. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, the the creators of Quest, uh, the Adventure Guild, uh, and designer TC Sotek. Um, Queens is a competitive card game. The interesting thing about it is it exists in the universe of Quest oh, cool. as well as being an actual card game. Um, you, there's not loads of details on it yet. Um, Chase managed to dig up some details directly from TC Sotek. Um, but you essentially have a grid of cards, and you're trying to reveal your opponent's queens um, while keeping your own hidden. Um, but yeah, it's I, I always find it fascinating when it's like this. This game exists in the universe, but also you can play it. Um, I think off the back of things like Orlog, which we chatted about last week, you know, games that are designed to exist in the world that's not our own. Um, you know, how how do they do that, or does it just end up feeling a bit like Blackjack, but you've put you know mm-hmm. a picture of a space alien on yeah, the cards? That reminds me <laughs> of what was that game that came out this year, Matt? That's very. I, 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 that's that's a, oh, <laughs> right. A game did come out this year, Ian. <laughs> Are you thinking I'm, of Tailstones? Yeah, I'm talking about Tailstones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, this reminded me of Tailstones, and I was like, oh, this sounds good. Unlike Tailstones. Tailstones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, um, like I said, there's not loads of details about it. There's a few that Chase dug up that you can read on the website, but it'll be hitting Kickstarter next year sometime. Um, alongside, they're doing a science fantasy version of Quest as well. Um, so it feels like they're really building it out. Um, and they've, from what I know, they've they've done a really nice job of just opening up that game so that like homebrewing it is really easy, kind of putting your own content yeah. in it. Because it's yeah. there's not a load of game to begin with. That's kind of the nice thing about it, but they just mm. allow people to build it off in, in their own directions. So, yeah, uh, that's Queens, and it will be on Kickstarter some point next year. Uh, let's shift on to this next one. Has anyone played Blockmania? Nope. <laughs> Me neither, but it's in the news, so here we are. Uh, Blockmania is a game from the 80s, originally published by Games Workshop, set in the universe of 2000 AD. Uh, what is the universe of Judge Dredd and that? Um <laughs> Judge Dredd <laughs> and Strontium Dog and what the hell is that? That's another 2000 AD comic strip. Um, oh, of course, Strontium. Of course, yes. Oh, gosh. oh yeah. Oh, no. There be so many upset comments. <laughs> on this video. Um, so yeah, Blockmania is it's this is set in in Judge Dredd, so it's mega cities and the premise of it. Despite having ever played it, the premise sounds hilarious because it's essentially. The um, inhabitants of a block of flats or an apartment block basically want to destroy their neighbours who are also in a block of flats. Um, so you have these two kind of opposing towers and you're trying to just wreak havoc on each other. And that's the game. Um, so you can pull off dirty tricks and you can kind of blow up things and all sorts. Um, it was apparently designed by uh, Richard Halliwell who did Space Hulk. Um, So it kind of really comes from that 80s Games Workshop run of Fury of Dracula and Space Hulk and and all sorts. Um, What is Space Hulk? Space Hulk is like a dungeon crawler. Uh, Space Hulk is basically aliens, but in 40k, isn't it? More fascists. Uh, um, It was also also a PC game once upon a time as well. Mm, It was also a first-person PC game at one point as well. Yeah, I think there's also a tactical like RTS or turn-based have, version have, as well. Like, you have Dawn of War as well. 
Which is another one. Yeah. Which is based off as well. I think there's just been like four million Warhammer games. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> They're just giving that license out to anyone that wants it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, this uh, this re-release of uh, Block Mania, which sounds like a like a kids Lego game, was yeah. it? Like a kids Lego knockoff. <laughs> um, it's. It's a re-release of the original, so they're they're very much going for nostalgia value. Obviously, we saw Hero Quest lately, um, but the, it's a recreation of the original. Um, they're also putting out one of the expansions that I think increases the player count, uh, called Happy Hour, Blockmania Happy Hour. Um, just a collection <laughs> of words name. at some point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's presumably you're f- just flinging liquor bottles at the flat, <laughs> shouting uh, curses. <laughs> just yeah. Just... But it's being uh, republished by Rebellion Unplugged, which is owned by 2000 AD. Um, so spin-off of the Sniper Elite video game publisher, who also did the Sniper Elite board game. I've heard good things about that game. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I believe it's it's already on sale. I don't know if it's only available for a limited amount of time. I was scanning through the story. It doesn't mention that. Um, so it might be that there's just a limited amount available. Um, but apparently it's out. So you can, you can go and grab it if you're so intrigued. Mm. Uh, last on the news block this week, uh, oh, <laughs> which I, I cut, I, I cut, I cut a few news stories because we we spent a while discussing D and D because it was quite important. But I couldn't cut this one, uh, which is that Yuri Geller, noted spoonbender um, and illusionist. <laughs> Um, well, that's that's what people think of when they think of Yuri Geller, right? Is bending spoons. I don't think and... of anything when I think of Yuri Geller. To be honest, um, I, I, that's why this story not thought of Yuri Geller in a long time. But apparently, Yuri yeah. Geller twenty years ago had a major issue um, with the Pokemon card game, um, specifically Kadabra, um, which is a psychic Pokemon uh, of the Abracadabra Alakazam line. Um, so <laughs> Kadabra. For those that are up on their Pokemon, is a psychic Pokemon who wields spoons, um, and in the Japanese is known as uh, Yugura. Um, Yungala. Oh, Yungura, yes. Um, yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. Uh, so, Geller apparently 20 years ago tr- didn't like this um, when Pokemon <laughs> first came out because he thought it was, you know, essentially taking his identity and turning it into a fictional monster. Um, So he sued Nintendo for 60 million (laughs) at the end of November 2000. Um, And because of that legal battle, Kadabra didn't appear in the Pokemon card game or the anime for 20 years, which I didn't realise because Kadabra continued to be in the video games and Pokemon Go. So did they just think Yuri Geller, he's completely offline, he'll never see this, (laughs) just tuck it away. Check the game. Yeah, just tuck it away in the biggest mobile game of the last ten years. That'll be fine. Um, so yeah, he he posted a tweet. Um, this is Yuri Geller, who said, "I'm I'm truly sorry for what I did twenty years ago, <laughs> <laughs> kids and grown ups. I'm re- I'm releasing it's the band. Some kind of tragedy oh by his <laughs> hands. Goodness, finally, the world we we live in a better world now. Mm. <laughs> uh, finally, the band has been released. Best news of yeah. <laughs> we needed something and Yuri Geller finally delivered um, it's now all up to Nintendo to bring my Kadabra Pokemon card back it will probably want to be one of the rarest cards now much energy and love to all um, I wonder why he's brought this up now 20 years after the incident when he's not remembered by anyone <laughs> um, we actually went and looked up uh, Kadabra uh, as a Pokemon card because um, I think there are only there's less than a handful of different versions because it was banned 
or it just stopped appearing relatively um, quickly after it was published. Uh, and typically, they go for about forty cents, um, somewhere <laughs> between forty cents and a dollar. <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's a near mint Kadabra on uh, PokemonPrices.com uh, for forty cents. Uh, so, you know, I yeah, guess that's. Cheers, Yuri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Matt, it's very important. I feel like we should state this. Uh, Geller says himself, "Bless you all." And Pokemon Kadabra is free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he posted a video that was him like opening a briefcase full of Kadabra merchandise, like almost like it was this, like, um. Like time capsule that just like he he had taken it upon himself to lock away every kind of every instance of Kadabra in the world apart from you know in the video games and Pokemon Go because um, you can't lock away code I guess so he just opens up this suitcase full of Kadabras <laughs> um, and apparently one Alakazam um, oh, which he mistook well. for a Kadabra. How dare he! Uh, That's not his brand. So yeah, he he said he was cracking yeah. the lid for the first time in twenty years, um, and it's just a suitcase, just a suitcase full of cadabras, as you do. Twenty twenty does not surprise like a... me anymore. I've seen everything. No, like... there's just nothing they can pull. Is there? there? There's um, there's like an excerpt from also like in that video where he's like opening the suitcase. Behind him is a car that is covered in bent cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Just like what? Who is this man? Um, but apparently, like in the original, like legal documents of like why the company was sued, which were were released, that like one of the reasons they state is that like the little lightning bolt pattern that Kadabra has on his belly, um, they said it oh, looked yeah. too much like the SS logo <laughs> from, from World War Two. <laughs> so they were implying that Yuri Keller. <laughs> I d- it's just baffling, oh, like, will, the whole thing. I will note, also, by the way, uh, Alakazam, the evolvation of Kadabra, has has two spoons! <laughs> <laughs> and, his, and his mega evolution, mm. which is like something you can do. Yeah, take that, Yuri. <laughs> has like at least four spoons. Like, I can't believe that at Kadabra least. is the one that, that he went on <laughs> Not yeah. more it, it is, yeah, it's uh, genuinely kind of a mystery. Uh, it's worth saying that neither Nintendo or the Pokemon Company have commented on Gellar's <laughs> claims. Uh, so, uh, so they haven't said when it might be reprinted um, or if it will be reprinted. Finally, it's they just... can let Kadabra out of his case. I'm just imagining a desperate Yuri Geller, like just sort of crying yeah. outside the Pokemon Center. <laughs> Please bring the kids back to Kadabra. <laughs> meet him <laughs> well, now more than ever this is yeah this was the suitcase just sealed with like for emergencies only and it took to the end of 2020 for him to go this is what the world needs this is yeah. time it's like it's time yeah um in case of global pandemic break cadaver suitcase <laughs> just smashing the button and there's a tiny cadaver inside um uh, just putting a spoon in a thing I don't know, uh, in a lock a yeah a spoon in a lock um, okay. To unlock it, because um, of course he could form it into a, a key within. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, that's all we have on the news uh, this week. Uh, so let's move on to some questions from the audience. Uh, if you've got a question for the Dicebreaker podcast, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. 
You can find us on Twitter at John Dicebreaker. You can find us at Dicebreaker. <laughs> Dice. You can find us Dice. at <laughs> Dice. <laughs> right. Dicebreaker.com. Dicebreaker.com. <laughs> um, uh, Email. <laughs> uh, Wills, to save Hello. my embarrassment, would you like to read this one from Nathan, please? Hello, Dicebreaker team. Hello. Uh, following on from the discussion on last week's podcast, which underrepresented components or periods of history and culture with the appropriate level of oversight, inclusion, and development would you like to see brought forward within a board game setting? Or, if there are some great ones out there that aren't already getting as much love as they should, which ones would you suggest? And we'll open the floor. Anyone got any particularly... Strong feelings about this subject? I think, well, it's worth saying up front that obviously, you know, we're not necessarily the best people because I think part of it is just allowing, you know, encouraging people from those cultures and backgrounds into the industry, which hasn't happened. And that's often where that stuff comes from is you you just won't think of it because you've never come across it uh, in your own life. Um, I think for, for what it's worth, I would love to see, I've said this before, I think, a game inspired by the Bollywood uh, movie seen mm. because it's something i've never seen before um and my wife uh, has introduced me to a number of bollywood films and i just think they bollywood films have such a it's such a distinct genre um mm. and i think so much of it uh, lends itself to an interesting game because so much of it is often um like two parties or two groups of people interacting in different ways and leading to some kind of like they start off opposed and then by the end, they've joined together. So I just think that a Bollywood board game of some kind, whether it's about the production of those films or set within kind of the universe and story of a Bollywood-style um, setting would be really fascinating. Hmm. I think, to reverse the question, I would like to see less board games about colonialism. Yes. <laughs> Especially ones in which the colonists are the protagonists of the, uh, of the setting. Oh. But yeah, apart from that... Um, yeah, I generally like. I think, as I was saying with the the Black Orchestra stuff, like I think even just viewing similar periods in a different lens is is quite important because oftentimes we we do see history as like either there was a country being founded because it had lots of money or somebody was having a war and like history's a lot more diverse <laughs> than that. Um, and it would be nice to see some of the more sort of human stories come out of it, um, even just like certain bits of um certain bits of history that we've only ever seen from one front lens and seeing it from from the flip side would be would be a lot more interesting yeah. to me i know it started as a video game but this war of mine which then became a board game mm. i think is a really interesting example of that as well where it's yeah it's very kind of personal and human um exactly. and feels very genuine to the experience of the siege of sarajevo um mm. so yeah i i think you're absolutely right mm. i would say um yeah, I'm fed up with board games that are about going over to South America <laughs> or, or, or going over to North America and setting up civilizations there uh, when you're like, ooh, I feel like there could be a more nuanced take on this, but you can't be bothered to do that. So you're just going to take the mechanics you've got and stick a setting on it that you think going to work. Eh, uh, US war i don't know u.s founding or whatever um i would say so um back in back in my school day uh, <laughs> um 
as part of our religious studies, um, we studied uh, a part of history uh, covering the Indus Valley civilization, which is basically uh, it was a civilization that existed around the the Indus Valley, which is like in the northwestern regions of you know kind of South Asia. Uh, and it's considered to be like the origins of Hinduism, basically, uh, which is how it's connected to RS. Uh, and it was fascinating uh, because it was essentially like history lessons, but about the cultures itself and how they were built around, you know, religion and how that kind of has uh, ties in with modern day Hinduism. And it, it's considered one of the most, for its time, modern essentially societies ever existed they had like waterways they had like stuff that we wouldn't think about considering when the civilization kind of existed and i would love to to play a board game about that like there's so many board games about uh, city building and and you know civilization building things like that i would love to see one on the indus valley civilization because it's fascinating because there's a lot of mysteries behind it especially about, you know, how the civilization kind of fell. Um, and I would love to see a board game around that. I think it's fascinating. Mm. There you go. All right. Uh, Emma, anything come to mind? Um, so one thing I've found uh, super, super like oversubscribed is just Lovecraftian stuff. I know that's not mm. historically accurate, but there was a point where it was just absolutely everywhere and I just became super desensitized to it just because it's like, it's the same thing over and over again. Um, one, one thing I would like to see, and I guess this is just a personal preference because I enjoy reading it is stuff like mythology. So like European mythology is quite good. So like Norse mythology, for example, was quite interesting. Um, and also extending that like Hindu mythology is quite good. There's a lot of, flavor and cultures you could take that and make it into a really interesting game instead of just going oh yeah here's greek here's roman done mm. this is this just feels like you could do more if you had a bit more research but as we were saying before it feels like they just don't have the right people involved to propel yeah. those ideas which should happen at some point yeah i would like to see some mm. more like norse mythology and you know hindu mythology because they're really really interesting and you know it will make people like more interested and learn more about these other cultures yeah for sure i always think of rising sun um when come on put it out oh, and one of the the japanese deities in it was based on a wikipedia page that someone had created as a joke for a new zealand farmer and it ended up i think it was like a kickstarter exclusive yeah, yeah. Or, a, or a stretch yeah, wow. goal or something um but this random new zealand farmer ended up in the game as a japanese deity because they'd created it as a prank and it appeared that come on had just basically scanned wikipedia gone yeah that seems cool and stuck it in yeah but i think that's yeah, that's just like the industry at points in a microcosm. Yeah. Is there, there's I too much it, of that. A lot of the time, like I think that's that's a pretty good example of how um, when you have a game created about a culture by someone who is not from that culture, um, it is always just going to be window dressing to something that they're they're not really that interested in. And, um, and I think to to have like to have a game that is so intrinsically involved with something that is to you foreign means that you have a um, 
can't think of the word in my head now. You have, you know, you have like a um, ah help. <laughs> um, oh god, I've just the thesaurus part of my brain has just melted through like my eyes. Assumptions or no, a um, a, a thing that you are supposed to do because it is right. Oh, I see. <laughs> Obligation. A, an yeah. obligation. Thank you very much, Mian. Uh, an obligation to get someone involved mm. in yeah, your yeah. process who is from that culture and knows what they're talking yeah, about. I um, really don't think there's anything wrong with a designer going, I really want to make a game about this period, this part of the world, etc. But what they've got to do is that they've got to actually involve people along with the design process and name them who, who can actually consult and say, hey, this is what's going on with this and this is how we do things sensitively i think that's so important now and like the thing is like eric lang who made wine sun uh, is he's pretty excellent for what i mm-hmm. i've gathered and he's genuinely passionate about japanese mythology and culture same with ank and everything um so i don't think it's a lack of passion by any means i think it's just not you know on a corporate sense not getting people involved that can actually consult on hey this is how that's this is what's appropriate and this is you know what actually is it's about and stuff so yeah yeah uh and of course that just gets more people into the industry in general which is always a good thing like just diversifying the industry is much needed um thank you for your question nathan emma would you like to read this one from brian please yes so Hi, Dicebreaker team. Can you recommend some engine building games with a similar feel to Wingspan? I have played Scythe and Hendara, both very different engine building games, and are especially are enjoyable, especially Scythe. However, I really enjoyed the relaxed strategy, uh, strategic play of Wing, uh, Wingspan. Thanks. And that's why. Hmm. I think for me... These I recommending think, question, questions are always tricky yeah, um, because you have to think off the top of your head. <laughs> so of the two that come to my head are Terraforming Mars and Splendor. Hmm. But Splendor's a oh, bit, Splendor, yeah. yeah, Splendor's a bit old school. I'm not too sure, but they're the two that come to my head that I played and really, really enjoyed. Splendor's really lovely as mm. well. Like it's, um, it's a really like that you've got your weighted poker chips and it's all in like a nice package. Yeah. It's it's very well presented. Mm. Um, so if 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 you've got people who are new to that genre, I think that'd be a pretty good more like splendid. Well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The box is too nervous. big though. The box is too big. Considering what's in there, I think the other the other classics, if they've not come across them before, are things like uh, Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are favourites for a reason. Um, they can take a bit of um, like Race for the Galaxy is a lot of wrapping your head around the iconography to begin with, where it's like there are seven different symbols here, and they <laughs> do various different things. I guess I'm going to be checking this rules reference for the next twenty minutes. Um, but once you've got into it, I think, you know, it, it moves really quickly. It's good fun. It is kind of engine building at its almost purest, where it's just a neck and neck race of I'm getting more points than you. Um, and every turn you're doing more and more and more. Uh, so if you've not done this before. One of my favorite ones, which I've just remembered actually, is London by Martin Wallace, um, which is a really, really lovely game. Uh, and another really nice box with some really nice art in and stuff. But it is about building up London in in that sort of period where everything was getting built at once. Um, but it's got a sort of, um, it's engine building, but with like a twist, because the twist is that, you know, you're, you're getting lots of stuff and you're putting it together and you're combining it into nice things and you're getting lots of bits that give you set collection, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but the more things that you use, it's been a while since I've played this. I don't know if this is going to be completely accurate. More things that you use, the more sort of like pollution and poverty that you're likely to um, to run into. So you get these kind of like abstract like cubes that you get added to your engine of like, yeah, you're you're building this really fast, but like you know you need to you need to make the city accommodable so people can actually live in it. Um, so you have to have this kind of like risk reward sort of balance between how much can I push this without accidentally screwing up my um, my score because everyone's really upset with me basically, which is quite cool. As a specific genre, I'm struggling to think of of like set examples of engine building games <laughs> like just going through my history of okay what have i played uh um yeah i mean wingspan's great am i right <laughs> am i right <laughs> can you recommend any games similar to wingspan well wingspan wingspan is just really good just play that yeah, some more yeah. it I is mean, really good it is great like the airy in rue are engine building mm. yeah technically <laughs> just play the airy in rue <laughs> i think i I think the area actually a really good version of engine building as well yeah. because you see how it is punishing if you don't keep that engine going um mm. so you you either get good or you just get stomped by a bunch of cats <laughs> and mice get good <laughs> that's kind of it right it's like if you're not if you don't plan ahead in the right way you will find yourself quickly you'll, it can be punishing you'll find yourself in the birdie boiler that's what we call it <laughs> Whenever we, yeah, whenever we play Rue and someone's playing the airy, if they mess up, they find themselves in the birdie boiler. Yeah. Um, I do think like the the area another example of like the the types of engine building game I like, where it's not just how many points can you amass over a set period of time. It's also like, hey, build something that's really efficient, but be warned, there is like you know there is a big thing that you need to um, push against, and if if you screw up, you know you can your engine will explode. Mm. You know it's the Skaven version of engine building. <laughs> <laughs> Ten out of uh, out of a hundred will probably blow up on your face when you use it, kind of thing. Mm. All right, uh, Mian, would you like to read this one from Dino, please? Dino's yeah. Bar and Grill. <laughs> I don't think it's that Dino. <laughs> Fortunately. We can't confirm that it's not that Dino. Yeah. I we, mean, he's... Nobody, nobody ever said mm. that Dino's Bar and Grill was yeah. fictional. This, or not. This person from, who's... From popular song, The Boys Are Back in Town. <laughs> this person who's uh, uh, spelled the name D-I-N-O. So, uh... uh yeah, yeah, it says my name is pronounced Dino. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's enough of that particular argument. Uh, let's actually read the question. Hi, Dice Breaker. After a long history of playing Monopoly with my overly competitive dad, <laughs> my mum refuses to play any board games, period. However, the one board game that she still enjoys is playing Trivial Pursuit. So I, won- I wondered if you had any recommendation for good trivia general knowledge games. Thank you, Dino. Uh, uh, is Mr. Lister, is that the one that yeah. people usually point to? Mr. Lister's quiz shootout. Yeah, which has real bullet holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> no way! Very exciting. They shoot every game. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that's the that's the game where you try and name lists, right? Is that yes, Mr. Lister? Yeah. That would be the clue. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like it's a fun one because it's it doesn't require specific knowledge. It can be like, what are the ingredients in a Big Mac? 
And it's like, mm. bun, lettuce, meat. Oh, yeah. And then you get into the kind of darker territory of like, is it relish or is it, yeah, acid. <laughs> Chemicals? <laughs> One of my favourite ones actually that we played recently, which is kind of a mix between trivia and just like stress management, <laughs> is... Um, uh, that one by Scorpion Mask, Matt, that we that we uh, we did a playthrough of in the kitchen. Ah, uh, st- no, not Stay Cool. Um, oh, no, stay, stay Cool, cool. yeah. Oh, it's stay, stay Cool. Stay Cool it is stay, excellent. Stay Cool, Stay Cool. Awesome. And for anyone who's not aware of it, Stay Cool is a game... Sorry, I've got Toto on me now. Uh, stay <laughs> Cool is um, a game in which you are being asked really basic trivia questions. Like, to the point where the question could be like, you know, what colour is a fire truck or something like that. Um but you're being asked in two separate ways. One in which you are just answering the question out loud, but the second in which you have dice in front of you of letters on, and you need to assemble the words in front of you using the dice. So you would have to find the R letter on one side of the dice, the E and then the D, put them together to make the word red. Um, the the trick is you're doing both at the exact same time. <laughs> um, and then every single round, it gets more and more stressful to the point where, like, you know, first you do it and you've got a standard timer. The second time you do it and you've got a timer, but you need to tell the other player when to flip it because if the timer runs out before you say flip, then your turn's over. The third, The third round, you're doing the same thing but you can't see the timer. So you're answering two sets of questions whilst you're doing a manual dexterity thing and trying to figure out how long you've been answering questions every sort of 15 seconds or so. It's brilliant. It's it's stress-inducing, but that's kind of the point. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mm. Hmm. Uh, maybe something like... I mean, Scratch agrees. It's yeah. straightforward. It's a classic. I've got yeah, I, like... you got Linky as well, which I quite enjoy. Mm. Linky's I love great. Linky. Yeah. I love Linky. And code names. Mm. Code names might be a fun one as well. That's a little that's less general knowledge, but just good a good guessing game as well. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Alright. There you go. Uh... <laughs> We've had a lot of recommend questions where it's just like, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh Wills, would you like to read this one from Alex, please? Dear Dicebreaker team, it has been well established the understandable dislike from the team of plastic miniature tsunamis from certain Kickstarter board games. I don't mind a few miniatures in board games to scratch my hobby painting itch, but there are but are there any games that you think have way too many ancillaries, miniatures, miniatures or otherwise? Should meeples be extra and everything be cardboard tokens, or should all games have all the extras like the scythe metal coins? Much love and keep safe from Alex. <coughs> Um, yeah, so for anyone who's just tuned in, this is their first episode of the Dicebreaker podcast or, or any kind of Dicebreaker. One thing we bemoan constantly is Kickstarters that hit all their stretch goals and suddenly ship with four metric tons <laughs> of plastic, um, which is a, I think is a growing issue where, you know, as Kickstarter becomes the main sort of way that um, a lot of people get their game funded and, you know, it's, it's a really useful tool because it means that a lot of games that previously might not have had the publisher support, um, you know, are able to go their own and make sure that they can actually, you know, make money back on the project that they're doing. However, the way that you get a Kickstarter funded is by offering lots of cool incentives for people to back. And the more incentives you put in, the more stuff you end up with at the end, uh, which maybe isn't necessarily 
a good addition. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot yeah. of examples of this. I think uh, the most egregious one that I can remember is the Batman yeah. game, which was like, I think it was based on the, the Conan game. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. God, the monolith yeah. thing that you're talking about. And it, oh my God, I've never seen more boxes <laughs> in my entire life. I watched someone do a review of it and it was just like, yeah, I've had to, you know, rent out a new apartment mm. to hold well, all of the bits they of this got game. to the point where they put in the T-Rex from like a Batman <laughs> comic. So, and it's like, it's just a T-Rex. Like nobody's like, oh yeah, my favorite Batman character, a T-Rex. The giant penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest, yeah, the most egregious examples of these is when uh, they had miniatures for like all the characters, like all necessary characters in the game. So, for example, with with Scythe, you have a you have a miniature for every single faction, but that's like what five five miniatures in the box, and then you also have miniatures for the mechs. Personally, I don't think the miniatures are necessary for the mechs, but you know. What I'm saying here is, when they have miniatures for like that entire faction of goblins or something, and they have every they have a miniature for every single goblin in the faction, and they have like ten different factions or something, that's when it starts getting ridiculous. Like I don't mind it when they have miniatures for like these are the important characters, these are the characters that you're going to be playing and stuff. It's when they have also have miniatures for the enemy units. Like as well, you might as well be making a, a bloody miniatures game, like you know, a war game, like because that's what it is now. Like it's not a board game. <laughs> like just well, have standees or, or tokens. Yeah. Like even with Scythe, like they're kind of like that sort of classic board game plastic miniature, where it's like you know, it's just a piece of coloured plastic. It's not really yeah. like a not a sculpture. Like, mm. Yeah, it, it doesn't turn off on a sprue, and you don't have to like glue together every part. Yeah, and yeah. Like and one one trend I really hate recently is the is the clip on coloured bases because they don't want to put coloured plastic in so that you can paint it. It's like, yeah, that's cool, but like, I've, I don't think I've ever painted a board game. Like, I'll I'll buy miniatures that were custom designed to mm. paint rather than, you know, add-ons to a board game, and it just means that I can't really tell who's who very easily. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, me, and I interrupted you there. I was just say, like, even again in Scythe, like the little you have little units, like your your soldiers, they're just like little tokens. That's fine. Mm. Like, we don't need to have miniatures for those as well. But there are games where they all do that. And then I'm like, well, this is why your Kickstarter costs like 200 quid. Mm. Like, <laughs> I've obviously people are, are are backing these things, so you know they want them. But I just feel like they want them because it's part of that culture of like, I want the giant box full of mm. like like the Descent Legends of the Dark. Like when I saw how much that cost, like. I actually had a little mini heart attack. Like, <laughs> like it's 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 horrendous. And obviously that has three D terrain pieces as well. Which, yeah, okay. But like, it's 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 those examples that I'm like, okay, no, this isn't really necessary, is it? You're kind of just doing this because people are willing to pay for this. Hmm. I'm gonna pluck a number out of the air. No more than five pre-painted. No more than ten unpainted in a board game. <laughs> Done. Sorted it. Simple. I've solved the problem. Easy. Yeah, there Easy. we go. Yeah. Put a number on it. No worries, man. I mean, I, I'm a hypocrite because like we 
my wife and I have purchased all the Mansions of Madness expansions and painted all of the miniatures in there. But I feel there we're invested so much and it's like a thematic, you know, we are playing for the narrative and the immersion in the world. So many board games are not that. They are just, here's a load of soldiers on a board or here's a load of, like, identical yeah, things. Like, like, I, I feel like it. it's the tone that you're trying to set with the game as well. Like, if you've got... I don't know if you if you're if you're making a, a basically a board game version of a war game kind of thing where you have got troops moving around, or if you've got like really important characters and like the characters the main important part of your game and you want them to have a cool model to represent them, that's fine. However, if you're making like a worker placement game <laughs> and at no point you do any combat or yeah. anything like that, and you've got like two hundred soldier <laughs> models, it's like why? <laughs> why are these here? Chuck them out. Chuck yeah. them out. Or there you go. Or you got betrayal mm. when a bitch look like they've been so bad. They're all doing the limbo. <laughs> Sculpt game. <laughs> I kind of like it about that. I like that. I think it matches the kind of trashy tone of that game. That's the exact that. kind of stuff that you would love from a board game. Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> oh dear. But there you go. That's our opinion on Kickstarters. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's certainly. I mean, we did a preview for a game that I actually really liked, which was um, the uh, the oh, was it was it just called Great Wall? The Great or yeah, like Great Wall, the Great Wall. I think that was a Great Wall, something like that. Is that Mythic Games? Mythic Games yeah. is another major offender in that regard. Yeah, which was it's a really nice game. I really enjoyed it, um, and like it took me a long time to enjoy it because when we unpacked it. And obviously it was a prototype, so we were we were just getting like a sort of preview. We didn't do a review, we just sort of like showed how the game works. Um, but we got like three separate boxes, a huge neoprene mat, like four different colours of like a hundred different troops all and there were like nice sculpts and stuff, but it was like, lads, what is this game? Like <laughs> Am I playing Warhammer? Because if I am, that's fine, I get it. But if I'm playing a worker placement game, I don't understand why these are here. <laughs> Oh god! Any thoughts, yeah, Emma? I, I just miss I miss I miss the little risk matches. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to agree, and it's painful for me to say this because one of my favourite uh, tabletop games suffers from this, and that's Kingdom Death. Kingdom <laughs> Death has an obscenely yeah, amount Death of models, and it doesn't need them. And I remember getting the Kickstarter um, because I really enjoyed the game, and I got like four boxes full of miniatures, and three quarters of them I'm just not going to use at all. And it's just like it's just such a waste of packaging, plastic. Like from an environmental perspective, it's just so bad. Mm. But the game's great. And two quarters of them are heaving. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you, and then you have and then you have all the expansions that come out, which also have an obscene amount of models. And it's just like, mm. please stop. I'll, I'll play Warhammer <laughs> if I want loads of models. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. I, I only have so much room. <laughs> mm. I think that's at least one nice thing with the Warhammer board games that they put out or at least the the they come with kind of standard warhammer miniatures so it's like okay i can yeah, which, use these in an actual game yeah. of warhammer yeah but and i think that's like that's a, that's a smart business decision yeah of course well, yeah. it's like hey you've already got the miniatures why not give it a go but it's also like you know most of the games that they make are also still stick to that kind of theme of like you know dungeon crawly stuff and and like you know, stuff like Underworlds where it's like, yeah, it's a card game, but you're you're moving soldiers around on hexes, so like, you might as well have little miniatures for them and stuff, because we already make them. So, like, a, a lot of the time, they're not really much of a big offender, because most of the games they're making are the kind of ones where you would un- understand having big hero figures mm. on there. Mm. 
Um, if they if, if Games Workshop brought out a set collecting like you know Sushi Go clone, <laughs> but you were grabbing Necrons, then I'd be a little bit annoyed. But yeah, I don't want to see it. <laughs> One final note on this. I've just got to put that out there. Publishers. Look 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 into my eyes. <laughs> right. Please stop on your Kickstarter description. Please stop putting like so many images of miniatures before you even explain what you do in the game. <laughs> Please stop doing that. Just 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 Give me a grounding of what you do in the game, and then you can put all the pictures of the miniatures in there. Just like well, it's kind of, that's kind of a good example of like the one of the problems yeah. is like some of it's consumer face. So it's like some people, uh, in fact, I'm sure a lot of people who bat the the Batman board game just wanted to paint some Batman miniatures. I don't think they actually really played the mm. game all that much. It's just which, like the game is yeah, like it's kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah, play second fiddle to all these, all these miniatures. <laughs> mm. Oh, anyway, carry on. We're not moving too far away because uh, the last question we've got this week is from James uh, and it says, what's your favourite or best mini you've painted? What would you like to paint but are too intimidated? Uh, mine is Mortarion. I put it off for ages before jumping in. Mortarion. Mortarion. Mortarion's the big plague angel. Yeah, it's the Primark of the Death Guard. He's like a ridiculously big model. Oh, Emma, you might as well start. <laughs> um, so I can kind of relate because I have a pile of shame of stuff of like characters that mm. are just in, like too nervous to start in case I mess them up because you know they are a lot of money and you want to you know not lose lose out on money. Um, I think the best model I've painted was about three four months ago when I painted a little Death Guard icon bearer. So he's just got like a little flag, and it, I was just really happy with it because. I came back into Warhammer after like six years hiatus just because magic kind of took over. And but yeah, that, that, that's one I'm pretty happy to, you know, that was a good one to paint. Um, how about you guys? I, so I've, I've actually kind of leaned towards um, painting mainly like big showpiece mm. models because I actually tend to find that I get way more uh, sort of browbeaten and like, oh God, I don't want to when there's like hundreds of models than I do when there's a big one that I can just spend a long time on. So I recently did, um, which I've, I've shown on a couple of our painting streams, was the uh, Frost Lord on a stone horn from the Beast Claw Raiders in Age of Sigmar, which is basically a big woolly mammoth thing with huge horns and a dude riding along on it. And that was, I'm quite proud of that one. But I think the best one I've ever painted is that... Um, the oh god, what's it called? Why is everything in Warhammer <laughs> such a, have such a complicated name? <laughs> is it a dragon um, thing? Was it the dragon thing? No, it was my giant rat, uh, giant rat thing, Skaven. <laughs> oh, that would that would narrow it down with the Skaven. Yeah, it wasn't the big demon thing. Yes, it was the big, the big demon. demon thing. Okay, <laughs> I can't remember what his name is. Anyway, um, I painted a giant. It's basically the giant, the the great horned rat, sort mm. of like uh, Primark kind of. You know, I'm a big envisionment of him, um, but it's essentially like a giant rat demon. And I, I think that was the first, maybe the second time that I properly did a big model, and that was when I realised like, oh, I much prefer this <laughs> <laughs> because in, instead of like slaving away on like this tiny little thing and like your hands are cramping up. You can just spend ages like, yeah, sure, I only did a sword today, but it looks great. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing. I'm I'm not a great painter. Um, 
but I bought some Infinity models because uh, I was getting into Infinity with friends, and I decided it's a small skirmish game, so it's only kind of a handful of figures. And I was like, I'm going to spend a long time on each of these. And I've painted up one of the JSA. I can't remember what it's called. It's kind of a mech samurai robot oh, thing. Oh, your Neon Genesis robot. Yeah, <laughs> so I painted it. I'm interested. I, I painted it in the Neon uh, Genesis Evangelion colors, nice. uh, the very distinct green and purple. Excellent. Um, one. I, I combined paints to get the specific color i was like it's gonna look like that um but it was also one of those ones where um often when we're doing mansions of madness figures like they're relatively quick you just kind of you know they're just giving the effect because you're not looking at them up close but i took a long time over it kind of did multiple layers and washes and highlights and was really happy in, with it in the end it's you know i'm not gonna win any painting competitions but it was just that satisfaction of like oh i spent time on this and like i'm happy with it for me so that was just a nice kind of thing. I haven't painted anything big in a in a long time, but I can't, would kind of like to. Hmm. Yeah, I need to paint more because essentially it requires patience, which is something I don't have. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it also requires that you accept if you've messed up that you either go back and fix it or you just carry on. And if I've ever messed up anything, I just kind of want to throw it in the bin. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I, I do want to do some more painting, but I think the best thing I've painted was one of the first things I painted, which was a little bear. Uh, oh, here's one you prepared this. earlier. Here's one we prepared Ooh. earlier. Yeah, it's from a collection of miniatures for uh, Critical Role that's on gaming. Um, and it's just a bear, and I'm just happy with it because, like, the the shading on the armor is really nice, and I've done some of the details. And you know what? Like, when I look at that, I'm like, I can I can do stuff like that. And it, doesn't, it doesn't look like total garbage. So it doesn't look like a betrayal yeah. model. Yeah, <laughs> that's the aim. That's the bar to cross. It's yeah, not doing the limbo. If you wanna, if you wanna really make it. Um, something that you'll really enjoy. You now have to put it in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, that betrayal, that betrayal look. Smoking bear coming out of the microwave. <laughs> we don't but, have a microwave, so this isn't going to be yeah. an issue. Just flambe it. Just get... Flambe Yeah, get an, aer- an aerosol can and a lighter. You're sorted. <laughs> um, flambe yeah. bear. Dicebreaker does not endorse. <laughs> no. No, Dicebreaker does not endorse the following <laughs> advice. <laughs> uh, but that is all the questions we have time for this week. Thank you for sending in your questions. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at podcast at dicebreaker.com. Uh, before we leave you, Wheels, representative of the video team this week, uh, oh what's coming up on youtube.com slash dicebreaker? Well, Matt, um, it might have been said last week, but we had to postpone it to this week. Uh, my list of the best family games is coming up on youtube.com forward slash Dicebreaker, the, uh, the premier YouTube channel for all board game content, of course. Um, but including that, we've also got the, of course, next Dungeon Breaker episode coming up on Saturday. If you're watching this on Friday, then yesterday we would have done a live stream as well i don't know what we're playing yet but we're going to be playing a board game uh and uh yeah all sorts of fun stuff coming up <laughs> fantastic on dicebreaker.com you can find a list of upcoming board games for 2021 from one alex Meehan. uh you can find jason calls fort on commander legends uh, which emma was chatting about earlier uh you can find chase spoke to some of the creators of the upcoming rpg blackbirds 
Uh, which sounds like it has quite a quite an amount of talent behind it, um, and is based on Zweihander, um, and that's coming up next year. Uh, and you'll be able to find the usual recommendations, Christmas gift guides, all of that kind of thing. Uh, of course, you can also find new Dungeon Breaker merch on DiceBreaker.myshopify.com. <laughs> Oh, uh, you can't uh, see uh, it, but, it, but someone on YouTube yeah. might. Uh, <laughs> Nian's beat it to it, I think. Yeah. God damn it. There we go. Yes. A new t shirt, a new poster, and some new stickers, which I'm very excited about. I have not received one yet, so I'm only a tiny bit sour. Um, but we will, of course, be back next Friday with the Dicebreaker podcast. But thank you so much for joining us, Emma Partlow. Where can people find you? What you know? What's coming up on your side of things? Oh God. Um, so thank you for having me. It's been an absolute delight. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mzine. So that's E M M N Z Y N E. Um, I write for TCG Player, which is a Magic the Gathering retailer, and my articles go out every Tuesday. So I talk about uh, Magic on a budget. So how to get into uh, how to get into the Eternal formats like Modern Pioneer on the on the cheap. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm hoping to do some more Hammer stuff for you guys soon. So yeah, I'm very excited exciting. for this. Yeah. yeah, and your yeah your Magic on a budget, Modern on a budget. Sorry, um, articles. As someone, as we've clearly proved this episode, <laughs> uh, as a team that knows very little about Magic, they are they're fantastic. Like I can I can read through them and go, I understand all of this. Like this makes me excited for Magic. Um, so yeah, absolutely go check them out. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and also, you know, the rest. Alex, me in. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just put me back in the cupboard. It's fine. I'll, I'll eat my gruel like a good urchin. Uh, gruel? Tell us about your scythe game next Where week. Where are you talk. getting gruel yeah. from? Um, gruel. <laughs> uh, Wheels. <laughs> uh, Wheels, thank you for being here. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, right. yeah, yeah. Signing off, yeah, yeah but uh, of course, I've been Matt Jarvis. Thank you. That's my job. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you again, Emma. Um, we'll be back next Friday. But until then, take care out there. Stay safe. Don't play board games over Christmas. Um, look after your loved ones and have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.